13. To marry within the family name all would be plain sailing. At present several theories of the origin of exogamy are before the world. Mr. Morgan, the author of Ancient Society, inclines to trace the prohibition to a great early physiological discovery, acted on by primitive men by virtue of a contract social. Early man discovered that children of unsound constitutions were born of nearly related parents. Mr. Morgan says, primitive men very early discovered the evils of close interbreeding. Elsewhere Mr. Morgan writes, intermarriage in the gens was prohibited. To secure the benefits of marrying out with unrelated persons, this arrangement was a product of high intelligence, and Mr. Morgan calls it a reform. Let us examine this very curious theory. First, Mr. Morgan supposes a early man to have made a discovery the evils of the marriage of near kin which evades modern physiological science. Modern science has not determined that the marriages of kinsfolk are pernicious. Is it credible that savages should discover a fact which puzzles science? It may be replied that modern care, nursing, and medical arts save children of near marriages from results which were pernicious to the children of early man. Secondly, Mr. Morgan supposes that barbarous man so notoriously reckless of the moral as the island not only made the discovery of the evils of interbreeding, but acted on it with promptitude and self-denial. Thirdly, Mr. Morgan seems to require for the enforcement of the exogamous law, a contract social, the larger communities meet, and divide themselves into smaller groups, within which wedlock is forbidden, this social pact is like a return to the ideas of Rousseau, fourthly, the hypothesis credits early men with knowledge and discrimination of near degrees of kin, which they might well possess if they lived in patriarchal families, but it represents that they did not act on their knowledge, Instead of prohibiting marriage between parents and children, cousins, nephews and aunts, uncles and nieces, they prohibited marriage within the limit of the name of the kin. This is still the Hindu rule. And, if the Romans really might not at one time marry within the gens, it was the Roman rule. Now observe, this rule fails to effect the very purpose for which X hypothesis it was instituted. Where the family name goes by the male side, marriages between cousins are permitted as in India and China. These are the very marriages which some theorists now denounce as pernicious. But, if the family name goes by the female side, marriages between half-brothers and half-sisters are permitted, as in ancient Athens and among the Hebrews of Abraham's time. Once more, the exogamous prohibition excludes, in China, America, Africa, Australia, persons who are in no way akin according to our ideas from intermarriage. Thus Mr. Doolittle writes, Males and females of the same surname will never intermarry in China. Cousins who have not the same ancestral surname may intermarry, though the ancestors of persons of the same surname have not known each other for thousands of years. They may not intermarry. The Hindu Gotra rule produces the same effects. For all these reasons, and because of the improbability of the physiological discovery, and of the moral reform which enforced it, and again, because the law is not of the sort which people acquainted with mere degrees of kinship would make, and once more, because the law fails to effect its presumed purpose, while it does attain ends at which it does not aim we cannot accept Mr. Morgan's suggestion as to the origin of exogamy. Mr. Menon did not live to publish a subtle theory of the origin of exogamy, which he had elaborated, in studies in ancient history, he hazarded a conjecture based on female infanticide, we believe the restrictions on marriage to be connected with the practice in early times of female infanticide, which, rendering women scarce, led at once to polyandry within the tribe, 
and the capturing of women from without, hence the cruel custom which, leaving the primitive human hordes with very few young women of their own, occasionally with none, and in any case seriously disturbing the balance of the sexes within the hordes, forces them to prey upon one another for wives, usage, induced by necessity, would in time establish a prejudice among the tribes observing it, a prejudice strong as a principle of religion as every prejudice relating to marriage is apt to be against marrying women of their own stock. Mr. Menon describes his own hypothesis as a suggestion thrown out at what it was worth. In his later years, as we have said, he developed a very subtle and ingenious theory of the origin of exogamy, still connecting it with scarcity of women, but making use of various supposed stages and processes in the development of the law. That speculation remains unpublished. To myself, the suggestion given in studies in ancient history seems inadequate. I find it difficult to conceive that the frequent habit of stealing women should indispose men to marry the native women they had at hand, that this indisposition should grow into a positive law, and the infringement of the law be regarded as a capital offense, seems still more inconceivable. My own impression island that exogamy may be connected with some early superstition or idea of which we have lost the touch and which we can no longer explain. Thus far, the consideration of exogamy has thrown no clear light on the main question the question whether the customs of civilized races contain relics of female kinship. On Sir Henry Maine's theory of exogamy, that Aryan custom is unconnected with female kinship, polyandry, and scarcity of women. On Mr. M. Single quote Lenon Single quote S. Theory, exogamy is the result of scarcity of women, and implies polyandry and female kinship but neither theory has seemed satisfactory, yet we need not despair of extracting some evidence from exogamy, and that evidence, on the whole, is in favor of Mr. M. single quote Lenon single quote as general hypothesis, 1. The exogamous prohibition must have first come into force when kinship was only reckoned on one side of the family, this is obvious, whether we suppose it to have arisen in a society which reckoned by male or by female kinship, in the former case, the law only prohibits marriage with persons of the fathers, in the second case with persons of the mothers, family name, and these only it recognizes as kindred. 2. Our second point is much more important. The exogamous prohibition must first have come into force when kinship was so little understood that it could best be denoted by the family name. This would be self-evident, if we could suppose the prohibition to be intended to prevent marriages of relations. Had the authors of the prohibition been acquainted with the nature of mere kinships, they would simply as we do have forbidden marriage between persons in those degrees. The very nature of the prohibition, on the other hand, shows that kinship was understood in a manner all unlike our modern system. The limit of kindred was everywhere the family name, a limit which excludes many real kinsfolk and includes many who are not kinsfolk at all, in Australia especially, and in America, India, and Africa to a slighter extent, that definition of kindred by the family name actually includes alligators, smoke, patty melons, rain, crayfish, sardines, and what you please, will anyone assert, then, that people among whom the exogamous prohibition arose were organized on the system of the patriarchal family, which permits the nature of kinship to be readily understood at a glance. Is it not plain that the exogamous prohibition confessedly Aryan must have arisen in a stage of culture when ideas of kindred were confused, included kinship with animals and plants, and were to us almost, if not quite, unintelligible? It is even possible, as Mr. Menon says, 
that the prejudice against marrying women of the same group may have been established before the facts of blood relationship had made any deep impression on the human mind. How the exogamous prohibition tends to confirm this view will next be set forth in our consideration of totemism. The evidence from totemism. Totemism is the name for the custom by which a stock scattered through many local tribes claims descent from and kindred with some plant, animal, or other natural object. This object, of which the effigy is sometimes worn as a badge or crest, members of the stock refuse to eat. As a general rule, marriage is prohibited between members of the stock between all that island who claim descent from the same object and wear the same badge. The exogamous limit, therefore, is denoted by the stock name and crest, and kinship is kinship in the wolf, bear, potato, or whatever other object is recognized as the original ancestor. Finally, as a general rule, the stock name is derived through the mother, and where it is derived through the father there are proofs that the custom is comparatively modern. It will be acknowledged that this sort of kindred, which is traced to a beast, bird, or tree, which is recognized in every person bearing the same stock name, which is counted through females, and which governs marriage customs, is not the sort of kindred which would naturally arise among people regulated on the patriarchal or monandrous family system. Totemism, however, is a widespread institution prevailing all over the north of the American continent. Also in Peru according to Garcilaso de la Vega, in Guyana the Negroes have brought it from the African Gold Coast, where it is in full force, as it also is among the Bechuanas, in India among Hoes, Garos, Casos, and Orones, in the South Sea Islands, where it has left strong traces in Mangaya, in Siberia, and especially in the Great Island Continent of Australia. The Semitic evidences for totemism animal worship, exogamy, descent claim through females are given by Professor Robertson Smith. In the Journal of Philology, IX, 17, Animal Worship and Animal Tribes Among the Arabs, and in the Old Testament, many other examples of totemism might be adduced especially from Egypt, but we must restrict ourselves to the following questions, 1, what light is thrown on the original form of the family by totemism, 2, where we find survivals of totemism among civilized races. May we conclude that these races through scarcity of women had once been organized on other than the patriarchal model? As to the first question, we must remember that the origin and determining causes of totemism are still unknown. Mr. M. Single quote Lennon Single quote S. Theory of the origin of totemism has never been published. It may be said without indiscretion that Mr. Menon thought totemism arose at a period when ideas of kinship scarcely existed at all. Men only thought of marking one off from another. As Garcilaso de la Vega says, the totem was but a badge worn by all the persons who found themselves existing in close relations, perhaps in the same cave or set of caves, people united by contiguity, and by the blind sentiment of kinship not yet brought into explicit consciousness, might mark themselves by a badge, and might thence derive a name, and, later, might invent a myth of their descent from the object which the badge represented. I do not know whether it has been observed that the totems are, as a rule, objects which may be easily drawn or tattooed, and still more easily indicated in gesture language. Some interesting facts will be found in the first annual report of the Bureau of Ethnology, page 458 Washington, 1881. Here we read how the Crow tribe is indicated in sign language by the hands held out on each side, striking the air in the manner of flying. The Benex and other bird tribe are indicated by an imitation of the cry of the bird. In mentioning the snakes, 
the hand imitates the crawling motion of the serpent, and the fingers pointed up behind the ear denote the wolves. Plainly names of the totem sort are well suited to the convenience of savages, who converse much in gesture language. Above all, the very nature of totemism shows that it took its present shape at a time when men, animals, and plants were conceived of as physically akin, when names were handed on through the female line, when exogamy was the rule of marriage, and when the family theoretically included all persons bearing the same family name, that island all who claim kindred with the same plant, animal, or object, whether the persons are really akin or not. These ideas and customs are not the ideas natural to men organized in the patriarchal family. The second question now arises, can we infer from survivals of totemism among Aryans that these Aryans had once been organized on the full totemistic principle, probably with polyandry, and certainly with female descent, where totemism now exists in full force. There we find exogamy and derivation of the family name through women the latter custom indicating uncertainty of male parentage in the past. Are we to believe that the same institutions have existed wherever we find survivals of totemism? If this be granted, and if the supposed survivals of totemism among Aryans be accepted as genuine, then the Aryans have distinctly come through a period of kinship reckoned through women, with all that such an institution implies, for indications that the Aryans of Greece and India have passed through the stage of totemism. The reader may be referred to Mr. M. Single quote Lennon Single quote as Wordership of Plants and Animals Fortnightly Review, 1869-1870. The evidence there adduced is not all of the same value, and the papers are only a hasty rough sketch based on the first testimonies that came to hand. Probably the most important survival of totemism in Greek legend is the body of stories about the amours of Zeus in animal form. Various noble houses traced their origin to Zeus or Apollo, who as a bull, tortoise, serpent, swan, or ant, had seduced the mother of the race. The mother of the Arcadians became a she-bear, like the mother of the bear stock of the Iroquois, as we know plenty of races all over the world who trace their descent from serpents, tortoises, swans, and so forth. It is a fair hypothesis that the ancestors of the Greeks once believed in the same fables. In later times the swan, serpent, ant, or tortoise was explained as an avatar of Zeus, the process by which an anthropomorphic god or hero succeeds to the exploits of animals, of theriomorphic gods and heroes, is the most common in mythology, and is illustrated by actual practice in modern India, when the Brahmins convert a pig worshipping tribe of aboriginals, they tell their proselytes that the pig was an avatar of Vishnu, the same process is found active where the Japanese have influenced the savage Anos and persuaded them that their bear or dog father was a manifestation of a deity. We know from Plutarch Theseus that, in addition to families claiming descent from divine animals, one Athenian Greek, the Ioxidae, revered an ancestral plant, the asparagus, a vaguer indication of totemism may perhaps be detected in the ancient theriomorphic statues of Greek gods, as the Ramses and the horse-headed Demeter and in the various animals and plants which were sacred to each god and represented as his companions. The hints of totemism among the ancient Irish are interesting. One hero, Conair, was the son of a bird, and before his birth his father the bird told the woman his mother that the child must never eat the flesh of fowls. Thy son shall be named Conair, and that son shall not kill birds. 265A The hero Cucullin, being named after the dog, might not eat the flesh of the dog and came by his ruin after transgressing this totemistic taboo, 
Races named after animals were common in ancient Ireland. The red deer and the wolves were tribes dwelling near Oasessory, and Professor Arachis, from the frequency of dog names, inclines to believe in a dog totem in Erin. According to the ancient Irish wonders of Erie, in the book of Glenlock, the descendants of the wolf are in Oasessory, and they could still transform themselves into wolves. 265 B.S. to our Anglo-Saxon ancestors. There is little evidence beyond the fact that the patronymic names of many of the early settlements of Billings, Arlings, and the rest, are undeniably derived from animals and plants. The manner in which those names are scattered locally is precisely like what results in America, Africa, and Australia from the totemistic organization. 265 C. In Italy the ancient custom by which animals were the leaders of the Versacrum or armed migration is well known. The Pisani head for their familiar animal or totem if we may call it so a woodpecker, the Herpini were like the descendants of the wolf in our accessory, and practiced a wolf dance in which they imitated the actions of the animal. Such is a summary of the evidence which shows that Aryans had once been totemists, therefore savages, and therefore, again, had probably been in a stage when women were scarce and each woman had many husbands. Evidence from the Gens or Greek. There is no more puzzling topic in the history of the ancient world than the origin and nature of the community called by the Romans the Gens, and by the Greeks the Greek. To the present writer it seems that no existing community of men, neither totem kin, nor clan, nor house community, nor gotra, precisely answers to the Gens or the Greek. Our information about these forms of society is slight and confused. The most essential thing to notice for the moment is the fact that both in Greece and Rome the Greek and Gens were extremely ancient. So ancient that the Greek was decaying in Greece when history begins. While in Rome we can distinctly see the rapid decadence and dissolution of the Gens. In the laws of the Twelve Tables, the Gens is a powerful and respected corporation. In the time of Cicero the nature of the Gens is a matter but dimly understood. Tacitus begins to be confused about the Gentile nomenclature. In the Empire Gentile law fades away. In Greece, especially at Athens, the early political reforms transferred power from the Greek to a purely local organization. The Deme, the Greek of historical times did not announce his Greek and his name as the Romans always did, but gave his own name, that of his father, and that of his Deme. Thus we may infer that in Greek and Roman society the Greek and Gens were dying not growing, organizations, in very early times it is probable that foreign gentes were adopted and blocked into the Roman commonwealth, very probably, too, a great family, on entering the Roman bond, may have assumed, by a fiction, the character and name of the gens, but that Roman society in historical times, or that Greek society, could evolve a new gens or Greek in a normal natural way, seems excessively improbable. Keeping in mind the antique and obsolescent character of the Gens and Greek, let us examine the theories of the origin of these associations. The Romans themselves knew very little about the matter. Cicero quotes the dictum of Scaevola the Pontifex, according to which the Gens consisted of all persons of the same Gentile name who were not in any way disqualified. Thus, in America, or Australia, or Africa, all persons bearing the same totem name belong to that totem kin. Festus defines members of the gens as persons of the same stock and same family name. Varro says in illustration of the relationships of words and cases ab emilio homines or the emilia sunt gentiles. The two former definitions answer to the conception of a totem kin, which is united by its family name and belief in identity of origin. 
Varro adds the element, in the Roman gens, of common descent from one male ancestor. Such was the conception of the gens in historical times. It was in its way an association of kinsfolk, real or supposed. According to the laws of the Twelve Tables the Gentiles inherited the property of an intestate man without agmates, and had the custody of lunatics in the same circumstances. The gens had its own satellum or chapel, and its own sacred or religious rites. The whole gens occasionally went into mourning when one of its members was unfortunate. It would be interesting if it could be shown that the sacred word are usually examples of ancestor worship, but the faint indications on the subject scarcely permit us to assert this. On the whole, Sir Henry Main strongly clings to the belief that the gens commonly had a real core of agmatic consanguinity from the very first, but he justly recognizes the principle of imitation, which induces men to copy any fashionable institution, whatever the real origin of the gens. Many gentes were probably copies based on the fiction of common ancestry, on Sir Henry Main's system. Then, the gens rather approves the constant existence of recognized male descents among the peoples where it exists. The opposite theory of the gens is that to which Mr. Menon inclined. The composition and organization of Greek and Roman tribes and commonwealths cannot well be explained except on the hypothesis that they resulted from the joint operation, in early times, of exogamy and the system of kinship through females only. The gens, he adds, was composed of all the persons in the tribe bearing the same name and accounted of the same stock. Were are the gentes really of different stocks, as their names would imply and as the people believed? If so, how came clans of different stocks to be united in the same tribe? How came a variety of such groups, of different stocks, to coalesce in a local tribe? These questions, Mr. Menon thought could not be answered on the patriarchal hypothesis. His own theory, or rather his theory as understood by the present writer, may be stated thus. In the earliest times there were homogeneous groups, which became, totem kin. Let us say that, in a certain district, there were groups called woodpeckers, wolves, bears, sons, swine, each with its own little territory. These groups were exogamous, and derived the name through the mother. Thus, in course of time, when some men married a wolf girl, and her children were to wolves, there would be wolves in the territory of the sons, and thus each stock would be scattered through all the localities, just as we see in Australia and America. Let us suppose that as certainly is occurring in Australia and America paternal descent comes to be recognized in custom. This change will not surprise Sir Henry Maine, who admits that a system of male may alter, under stress of circumstances to a system of female descents, in course of time, and as knowledge and common sense advance, the old superstition of descent from a woodpecker, a bear, a wolf, the Sunday or what not, becomes untenable, a human name is assumed by the group which had called itself the woodpeckers or the wolves, or perhaps by a local tribe in which several of these stocks are included, then a fictitious human ancestor is adopted, and perhaps even adored, thus the wolves might call themselves Claudii from their chief's name, and, giving up belief in descent from a wolf, might look back to a fancied ancestor named Claudius. The result of these changes will be that an exogamous totem kin, with female descent, has become a gens, with male kinship, and only the faintest trace of exogamy. An example of somewhat similar processes must have occurred in the Highland clans after the introduction of Christianity when the chief's Christian name became the patronymic of the people who claimed kinship with him and owned his way, 
Are there any traces at all of totemism in what we know of the Roman gentes? Certainly the traces are very slight, perhaps they are only visible to the eye of the intrepid anthropologist. I give them for what they are worth, merely observing that they do telly, as far as they go, with the totemistic theory. The reader interested in the subject may consult the learned strainises de gentibus Romanis, page 104 Aldus, Venice, 1591. Among well-known savage totems none is more familiar than the Sunday men claim descent from the Sunday call themselves by his name, and wear his effigy as a badge. Were their sons in Rome? The Aurelian gens is thus described on the authority of Festus Pompeius, the Aurelii were of Sabine descent. The Aurelii were so named from the sun Orum, Urier, the burning thing, because a place was set apart for them in which to pay adoration to the Sunday here, at least, is an odd coincidence. Among other Gentile names, the Fabii, Cornelii, Papyrii, Pinarii, Cassii, are possibly connected with plants, while wild etymology may associate Porci, Aquilii, and Vlerii with swine and eagles. Pliny HNXVII. 3 gives a fantastic explanation of the vegetable names of Roman gentes. We must remember that vegetable names are very common in American, Indian, African, and Australian totem kin. Of sun names the Natchez and the Incas of Peru are familiar examples. Turning from Rome to Greece, we find the Greek less regarded and more decadent than the gens. Yet, according to Grodii, 54 the Greek head El Sacra, in honor of the same god, supposed to be the primitive ancestor, to a common burial place. Three certain rights of succession to property. Four obligations of mutual help and defense. 5. Mutual rights and obligations to intermarry in certain cases. 6. Occasionally possession of common property. Traces of the totem among the Greek Greek are, naturally, few. Almost all the known Greek bore patronymics derived from personal names. But it is not without significance that the Etic deems often adopted the names of obsolescent Greek, and that those names were, as Mr. Grote says, often derived from the plants and shrubs which grew in their neighborhood. We have already seen that at least one Etic Greek, the Ioxidae, revered the plant from which they derived their lineage. One thing is certain, the totem names, and a common explanation of the totem names in Australia, correspond with the names and Mr. Grote's explanation of the names of the Etic Deems. One origin of family names, says Sir George Gray II, 228, frequently ascribed by the natives is that they were derived from some vegetable or animal being common in the district which the family inhabited. Some writers attempt to show that the Etic Greek was once exogamous and counted kin on the mother's side, by quoting the custom which permitted a man to marry his half-sister, the child of his father but not of his mother. They infer that this permission is a survival from the time when a man's father's children were not reckoned as his kindred, and when kinship was counted through mothers. Sir Henry Main page 105 prefers Amphestal de Coulanges theory, that the marriage of half-brothers and sisters on the father's side was intended to save the portion of the girl to the family estate. Proof of this may be adduced from examination of all the recorded cases of such marriages in Athens, but the reason thus suggested would have equally justified marriage between brothers and sisters on both sides, and this was reckoned incest. A well-known line in Aristophanes shows how intense was Athenian feeling about the impiety of relations with a sister uterine. On the whole, the evidence which we have adduced tends to establish some links between the ancient Greek and Gens, and the totem kindreds of savages. The indications are not strong, 
but they all point in one direction. Considering the high civilization of Rome and Greece at the very dawn of history considering the strong natural bent of these peoples toward refinement it is almost remarkable that even the slight testimonies we have been considering should have survived. 5. On the evidence from myth and legend we propose to lay little stress, but, as legends were not invented by anthropologists to prove a point, it is on that the traditions of Athens, as preserved by Varro, speak of a time when names were derived from the mother and when promiscuity prevailed, marriage itself was instituted by Cecrops, the serpent, just as the lizard, in Australia, is credited with this useful invention, 273 A similar legends among non-Aryan races, Chinese and Egyptian, are very common, 6, there remains the evidence of actual fact and custom among Aryan peoples, the Lycians, according to Herodotus, have this peculiar custom, wherein they resemble no other men, they derive their names from their mothers, and not from their fathers, and through mothers reckon their kin. Status also was derived through the mothers. 273 Be the old writer's opinion that the custom so common in Australia, America, and Africa was unique, is itself a proof of his good faith. Batchelfin page 390 remarks that several Lycian inscriptions give the names of mothers only. Polybius attributes assigning a fantastic reason the same custom of counting kin through mothers to the Locrians. 273 See the British and Irish custom of deriving descents through women is well known. 273 The end a story is told to account for the practice. The pedigrees of the British kins show that most did not succeed to their fathers, and the various records of early Celtic morals go to prove that no other system of kinship than the maternal would have possessed any value. So uncertain was fatherhood. These are but hints of the prevalence of institutions which survived among Teutonic races in the importance attached to the relationship of a man's sister's son, though no longer his legal heir. The sister's son was almost closer than any other kinsman. We have now summarized and indicated the nature of the evidence which, on the whole, inclines us to the belief of Mr. Menon rather than of Sir Henry Maine, the point to which all the testimony adduced converges. The explanation which most readily solves all the difficulties, is the explanation of Mr. Menon. The Aryan races have very generally passed through the stage of scarcity of women, polyandry, absence of recognized male kinship, and recognition of kinship through women. What Sir Henry Main admits as the exception, we are inclined to regard as having, in a very remote past, been the rule. No one kind of evidence neither traces of marriage by capture, of exogamy, of totemism of tradition, of noted fact among Lycians and Picts and Irish would alone suffice to guide our opinion in this direction, but the cumulative force of the testimony strikes us as not inconsiderable, and it must be remembered that the testimony has not yet been assiduously collected. Let us end by showing how this discussion illustrates the method of folklore. We have found anomalies among Aryans. We have seen the Genzanad, decaying institution. We have seen Greek families claim descent from various animals said to be Zeus in disguise, we have found them tracing kinship and deriving names from the mother, we have found stocks with animal and vegetable names, we have found half-brothers and sisters marrying, we have noted prohibition to marry anyone of the same family name, all the